Okay, listeners, welcome back to the Adrian Bow podcast. We're up to number 89 and I'm delighted today to bring to you a, a guest who is certainly well known to Australian real estate, Mr. Hazley Cush. How are you, sir? I'm probably 89. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? Hey, what a, what a, how good to know that the, uh, the, depth, the depth in Australian real estate is so deep. Yeah. It's, uh, well, the first you never struggle to get an agent to go on a a podcast to talk about themselves and their journey. You'd be surprised, Matt. I I, I hand pick them. I was just talking to you offline beforehand. I do hand pick them, and um, my metric is really easy, mate. People that have got a real altruistic you know, and, and, and a, a pay-it-forward attitude, which I know you and your business partner, Matt, who appeared a couple of weeks ago, did. Um, yeah. But also people have had a sort of interesting journey because um, as the listeners need to learn, um, real estate's not rainbows and unicorns, you know. It's uh, the, the people that have had the most success are the ones that have had a few challenges along the way, right? And, and you're, certainly, um, you're certainly not quarantined to that. So that's part of the discussion as well, which is always a bit of fun. But, um, mate, yeah, I really appreciate you, you, you joining us. Um, in our, we, we learned a lot about your business when we spoke to Matt Lancashire, right? Um, amazing growth, like... Uh, five offices now in 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 Brizzy, um, yeah, like that's 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 just incredible and a really solid sales roster, um, some really good retention and um, some some great recruitment initiatives you guys are doing. So, how's how's business um, travelling for you so far, mate? It's funny, you know, we're what well, early May now. I don't know when the show will be out, but early May when we're talking. Yeah, this time a year ago. Uh, I mean, it really, I've used this analogy and I think it will really resonate with you given your introduction. I often think about our job in real estate as like a surfer, professional surfer with the board tucked under the arm, walking down to the beach edge. Yeah. And a professional surfer will sort of look at the ocean for what it is, but, but an inadequate surfer will probably go, oh, I really prefer a left-hander or a right-hander or a, a point yeah. break or big or small. But a pro surfer knows they've just got to go out and surf the conditions. Yeah. And real estate's very much the same. You've got to be able to play to the different markets that you get. And the conversations I was having with our team in April, in March last year, were the polar opposite to the conversations that we're having today. Mm. And, uh, you know, there are some fundamentals. Um, and I'm not the world's worst surfer, so I'll get out the world's best service. I'll get out of the surfing analogies in a moment. Mm. But there are some consistencies. You know, you've got to be able to pay all duck dive and stand up. But other than that, you know, you've got to be able to service your vendors, service your buyers and work on getting futures, future sellers. But the way you do it and how you do it, um, you really need to be able to adapt. So, look, in fairness, uh, we've been extraordinarily fortunate, not only in our business, but I think as a real estate community, the market is exceptional for us in Brisbane. To give you some insight, March was our best month, uh, it was our best month, our personal best month, by double. So to give you some context, I've been selling real estate since 1996, my 25th year in April. Uh, I started Rowan New Fund in 05. And to tell you that we did our personal best month in March by double. Double. Incredible. Like another 100% stacked on top of your mm. PB mm. is just 
It, it, it is, it's actually beyond belief. It was beyond my belief to, to we, we did a $124 million worth of sales, which I think in commission language is uh, just over 3 million fees out of one office. Mm. And then the group, uh, we have three locations. Uh, we had a Spring Hill being the fourth, uh, but the, the three locations did 175, I think, million total. Uh, plus, we have the living here businesses as well. So, that is unbelievable. Never, never. It's mm. beyond belief that they'll have so, yeah, And for, con for context, Hayes, when was the last record month, apart from what you just did? How long ago? Like a couple of years ago? Um, look, I think as COVID built, we kissed it. We really borderline with it. Mm -hmm. um, in maybe late November last year, but it's all through this COVID. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this wonderful pandemic stealing. Mm. But other than that, you're right, decade. Like a dec decade. Pro probably a decade, okay. Decade. And, and what, what was the breadth of our sales roster or number of agents? Would, would that have doubled or not necessarily? No, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that it was, the sales team certainly got bigger. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly got bigger, which would have definitely contributed to it. Because one of the things, one of the things that's which is so wonderful to recount, was we did so many sales above a million dollars, mm. but also we did so many sales sub five hundred thousand. Like mm. this market, I've never, and I, I love your 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 um, journey. On, I've never seen a market where everything catches fire. Yeah. Normally, it's the first home buyers stimulating the market up or the prestige market bringing it up or the foreign investors coming not the foreign investors the prestige buyers and the first home buyers all going off and that's mm. that's what's happening right now for us it's interesting yeah I, I do really enjoy the surfing analogy mate because um you know you and i've seen stronger markets not so strong markets and i think the outsiders so people sort of not in real estate believe that oh the market's hot you guys must be killing it it's like well, really, we're a transaction business, and and one of the disadvantages of a hot market is short is low stock, right? So you guys have done well to do to do well in I wouldn't say a highly flooded stock market. Like there's there's definitely more coming onto the market, but you know it's true that you need an impervious uh, business model that can withstand a really strong market and also withstand and not such a good market because we still are a transaction and a customer service business, not a business that's reliant on pricing. Yeah, so, so I think it's a good analogy. It's a, um, it's, if I look at the two best markets now having put into, uh, and who knows what's coming up, but having had the last 12 months, I can tell you since opening this business in 05, the two, now I'm going to say best because best is very <laughs> Interesting words. It's per, it's personal. People say, "Oh, it's a great market." Well, the only person they're saying it's great for is the vendor. Mm. It's certainly not great for the buyer. Yeah. And yeah. you're right. For the agent, if you can't get stock, I've seen just as many go tail up in a boom as I had in a bust. Correct. It's not an agent's market, seller's market. Yeah. But our best was 09 after the mm. GFC when everyone else ran to the hills, mm -hmm. and we just got this clear view. We just got the we just turned around and went, hang on, everyone else has stopped working. Mm, All mm. we needed to was stick to the plan and, mm. and turn up at a listing table with a plan and enthusiasm. 
Yeah. When everyone else was turning up with no plan and no enthusiasm. Mm. And then last year. Yeah. And I really think Matt and I, uh, and I just, I got to say, I absolutely love my partnership with Matt. I just, and there's a, there's a bit to the journey, which I'm sure you'll dig in, but I just love it. We, we sat alone in the office in early April, late March, after ScoMo sent us all back to our bedrooms. Mm, mm. And, and I said to him, like, leadership's what's going to matter right now. Mm. And we have to be, like, every, I saw restaurateurs do it. And everyone, the business owners that stood at the front of their shop mm. and handed out the, the, the menus or, you know, whatever, like, mm. stood out in the front and took the headwind, mm. they won. And we set up a communication platform on that day I did two live crosses every day for 75 days with our team. Every vendor, every landlord, I sent videos to them. We, we got a plan and, oh, my Lord, who would have known the market was going to perform like it did? But because we did that mm. and, you know, when they zigged, we zagged, mm. gee, the payback was beyond our expectation. Mm. I mean, yeah, just beyond, just set a fire. But the lesson's perpetual, isn't it, Hayes, because... It's a shame it took that, but it was quite serendipitous. Now we'd be quite fortified um, in any market to to pivot, as as cliches pivot the word is during COVID. But to be able to pivot now, um, whether it's up, down, market, sideways, or pendant, whatever it is, um, the technology certainly there. Number one, which we, which was sort of hidden, hidden, hidden away right beneath our eyes. Um, yeah. the, you know, the, the, you know, the appetite's there for it. So I, I think the, there's, it's an acceleration of, of, you know, something that probably should have happened 10 years ago anyway, right? The, I mean, you and I are far more, look, look at us. There's no one else in the room with me. There's probably no one with you. Here we yeah. are doing the Zoom meeting podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, without without the um, energy of COVID, we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have learned the skills as quickly. But mm. you're right. The lessons of, of change in a market and the, the advantage of this, and it's difficult to notice as a young person because life just doesn't deal us all of these experience in a short period of time. Um, takes a bit of time to deal with adversity in different ways. But we had. 130-odd staff last April scared like I was mm. for what was coming next. And they were they were thirsty for communication. Like when we said, let's have a Zoom hookup at 5 o'clock on a Friday, every person attended. When we said we're going to meet at 7 in the morning and go through the plan for the day, everybody attended. And I remember one of them, a guy who's a sales mentor in our group, said can you just please give us all one bit of advice? Just tell us one thing that we should all do. Mm. And I said, just remain positive. Mm. Like in the face of the unknown, we don't know what's coming. Mm. You've got an option. You can go down a rabbit hole and stick your head in and be negative, or you can lift your head out of the cloud, lift your head up in the fresh air and say, I've got a plan. We're in the greatest place on earth. Mm. We're not sick. Um, and that energy is transferable. And then we'll see. We're certainly going to get more with that attitude than the other attitude. Yeah. And, and look, we did. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, we competed with people that put their heads in the negative attitude. Yeah. And God, those people filled their prophecy too. Yeah. I mean, we got a three-month jump start on everyone that mm. put their head into the rabbit hole. 
I remember doing coaching sessions, Hayes, right in the middle of COVID when with Victorian agents and Victorian agents had it much worse than us. I mean, you yeah. guys had it for, for a period, but Victoria really copped it hard. And, um, you know, the advice I was giving them was like, this is the best opportunity you've ever had to call every single person you've ever met in your entire career because how many times while you've been in reactive mode, while you've been juggling 10 listings, have you said to yourself, geez, I wish I could call my past clients. Geez, I wish I could call my past appraisers. Geez, I could. Well, you know what? Now's the time. So do it. And I'm telling you, we will get out of this. And when we are, and when we do, which we did, and all the agents have since called me, Victoria, and said, you know what? I've got such good relationships. And, And they even asked me, what do I say to them? And I say, just call them and say, hey, I'm going through a rough time personally with my family. How are you going? Is there anything I can do? Like, and nothing about real, like real estate agnostic, right? Yeah. And um, a lot of them just called me back and said, you know what? I made so many friends out of it. I reconnected with that many past clients who, you know, four years ago I was entrenched in their lies for six weeks. I knew everything. And then they hadn't heard, I earned 40 grand out of them, hadn't heard from me. So it just made complete sense. And it was like, well, why aren't we doing this? all the time you know like so why has it taken this like i'm glad that it did but so yeah a lot of cool stuff has has come out of it so hayes just going back to how you got into the industry like i've been doing it 32 years you've been doing it sort of almost 30 years so did, did you fall into agency like everyone else did well i uh finished school 18 and really wanted to be the next hollywood actor which now that I'm on the Adrian Bone show, I suppose, hey, I'm just going to tick. And my mum owned the local land white office. And I remember in my work experience thing in grade 10, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was sort of TV host or real estate agent. So main plan, backup plan. Wow. <laughs> and, and so, look, I did host a couple of shows early, didn't really work out, started working for mum in 96 as a, as a, as a rookies, rookies, rookies assistant, mm. you know, just, just whatever job anyone didn't want to do, they gave me and probably took four years to realize that um, that was going to be me. And I wouldn't say I loved it and I wouldn't say I was good at it and got some really key advice, pivotal advice early, which was one was your job. If you rely on your job, to give you satisfaction in your life. It's a lot of responsibility for your job. Mm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Is that your job's role or is that your role? You know, a lot of people will play sport, have hobbies, fall in love, go hiking, whatever, you know. And a fulfilled life and a happy life will probably make the work experience a better work experience. And I managed to find my creative outlet in real estate early, which was auctioneering. So I got my TV host. It just happened that I was doing it on a Saturday in a street theatre. And I loved that. It it really, real estate gave me access to do that thing that I just loved. Mm. And even though I've only been with Ray White, I've done nearly every role you can do. Property management, salesperson, business owner, I was their chief auctioneer, national auctioneer, sat on their national board, all the different things, and now multi-office owner in partnership with Matt and, and, other, and other partners. We've got Scott Darwin and Brandon Wortley at our Belimber and East Brisbane businesses. Um, property manager has Red Roll with us, Trim, um, you know, general managers. Hamish Bowman runs our projects. You know, like really developed with these great, great people. 
And um, yeah, and it was out of, yeah, I fell into it, but probably found, found the things that I loved and brought them into my business. One of the things I think most of us love in real estate is positive reinforcement and, and doing a good job and helping people through a transaction. And, you know, you find that when I didn't like it, it was because I did a bad job. I didn't work hard, so people complained. So they told me how bad I was, and they were telling me the truth. <laughs> so I decided to work harder, give them a good experience. They told me I did a good job. I loved hearing that. Mm. They told their friends I do a good job. So I worked really hard for them. They loved that, so they told me I loved hearing that. So I did it for other people. Got to call their auctions. Loved calling auctions. I would still call up until the pandemic. I would do one to two charity auctions a week. Mm. Uh, and now, I mean, just as a side note, any charity, anyone involved in the charity world, I would do one to two a week, have done for 20 years. I did zero from March to March. So you can imagine the money out of the charity market, and that's all starting to open up. Mm. And that whole give-get attitude, you talk a lot. I found it in, in business. You give people effort. You give people genuine, authentic, valuable time. Oh, mate, the payback is beyond you'll ever imagine, beyond what you could ever imagine. Mm. And, and I enjoy that. Real estate's just the job. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, it, there's a tangible science to it. It's actually called the law of reciprocity, which is, you know, we don't want to get too spiritual with people, but, you know, if, if you do contribute, it all comes back to you in one way or the other. It's actually, if, if you want to actually treat it as a, as, a, as, a, as a real estate practitioner tool, the more you prospect, even though you're just leaving messages um, or connecting with it, it will come back to you. So output equals input at some point, whether yeah. it's you're doing it altruistically, whether you're doing it as a practitioner, whether you're just creating, you know, incredible energy at an auction like you are. So isn't that cool that you had this sort of dream to be sort of an actor or a presenter or whatever? And, you know, like you, I'm an auctioneer as well. And that, that's by far the funnest part of the job right like you know so many agents i coach hey he's like oh you know look there's some parts of my job i just don't don't really like that much i'm like dude you're deluding yourself you know like if you worked in corporate australia and you were sitting in a cubicle got a train to work to and back and just did spreadsheets every day guess what you'd hate every part of your job right we work in the suburbs we're in an air conditioning office we drive around in an okay car we go and see nice people in the main we see interesting properties we're negotiating it's like sure is part of it a means to an end i.e door knocking cold calling prospect yeah that's a means to an end you don't have to love it you've got to tolerate it and you've got to sort of have some energy and some process around it but I'm just amazed of, of how many people are delusioned by the fact that you've got to love everything where, where for you, you've just said, okay, well, you know, acting and performing is my passion. So I'm going to bring it into my auctioneering. And mate, I, I, I love how you've brought a bit of humility and, and you, you've brought a bit of fun into it as well. Cause you know, I follow you on, on social and you wear your hats and you say your jokes and it's pretty cool stuff. Like where did that, did that, is that just something that came from that performing side of you? You just like over the years, you learn what you enjoy and you also learn what works. I mean, yeah. you and I and other auctioneers and agents, everyone listening, mm. negotiating is a huge part of my daily job. You know, and I, we run a good-sized rent roll, 1,200 management. I handle most of the high-level disputes, dispute resolution, which is, again, negotiating. Mm. And being human, being vulnerable, 
um, connecting personally, they are the greatest tools to create a platform to negotiate, to dispute, resol- uh, to, to resolve disputes. And so, yeah, when I do auctions, people are nervous. I mean, if you've mm. never bid in auctions, nervous rack. Yeah. And, and, you know, you've got someone that just said, come and help me bid. Well, they think they're only there to shit can the property mm. and tell you how to buy it cheaper. So mm. they've got a negative energy and the buyer's nervous and the neighbours are watching about what's mm. going to happen with the price. So your job as the auctioneer, you've got to just cool the crowd. You know, mm. let's get them smiling. So mm. how do you get them smiling? You smile. Mm. Uh, how do you um, get the crowd to be relaxed and vulnerable? You be relaxed and vulnerable. You know, if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. Um, you know, I remember I was talking to Cooley one day and he said, hey, so you've got to ditch the hats. If anyone wears a hat doing a Cooley auction, the last auction they ever called. So, mate, it's called the sunshine state. Yeah. My head's not get, my face is getting bigger by the day. <laughs> I'm wearing a hat because it's convenient and, and it's safe. I've had four sun cancers. I, I need it on. But, so, for those who can't see, Hazley's got a receding hairline. That's why, he's, <laughs> that's why he's telling everyone he's wearing the hat. But I reckon he wears the hat because he loves performing and just and and and, and it's it's a Trojan horse into making people relax, right? Because it's like, oh, fo- let's focus on the hat. Let's have a laugh. So, mate, good for you because oh, I love watching it. I, I think you do an amazing job. You know, good, 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 good for you. Hey, um, so so given your current role, like we heard a lot about Matt's skill set a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, and he's he's just you know he's he's a well oiled machine, um, and he's got sort of an eight point plan he just doesn't deviate from. Um, and you know the great thing about you guys is you complement each other, so you're you're outstanding at the property management, the operations, conflict resolution, whatever you want to call it. Um, and he's good good at, at you know, obviously being in the field, bringing in business. Um, what, what advice would you give, would you give an agent wanting to take that next step into business ownership? Um, should it always be with a business partner or do you think people are capable of doing it on your own? Because, you know, I coach that many principals that are, don't have partners and uh, that's business partners, I mean. And yeah. what happens is they try and wear two hats and pardon, that might be just be a Freudian slip based on our last topic, but <laughs> they, they try and wear two hats and, and what it does is cannibalise their highest and best use, which is listing and selling, when they're trying to be an, a manager. And when they're trying to be a manager, they're really doing a role which is like an 80 to 100 grand a year role when really if they're, if they're outstanding in what they do, they could be doing two, two or three million in GCI. So... Is it the only answer in business ownership? Because it seems to be, to me, a, a no-brainer. But, yeah, talk, talk me through your setup. So a couple of quick things for, for an agent and just for general agency. So first thing, I started the offers by myself. There was only four of us in 2005. Mm. Matty wasn't there. It was a really poor-performing business. And I came in as a full-time auctioneer. So I'd sold real estate for five years then went to Ray White as a full-time trainer and auctioneer, the chief auctioneer, and then started again. So I didn't come in with that. Um, like a lot of agents who mature to business ownership or become a business owner, they have a fair bit of, um, they're making good money. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm a 500 rider, a million rider, a two million, whatever. I want to be a business owner. As an auctioneer, I didn't have that 
big rolling GCI coming. So mm. my expectations, mate, five hundred bar, five hundred thousand dollars a year was not there. Mm. And I think that was a blessing in disguise for me. Had I gone straight from agency where I was making pretty good job at twenty one, mm. twenty two. I dropped back to auctioneering for passion, but I wasn't making an obscene amount of money. Mm. And then I sat in that seat doing pretty well as an auctioneer for a while. It's very difficult for an agent to go to business ownership mm. um, and then go, well, okay, well, I actually want to be a business owner. I don't want to sell all the time. I want to be a business owner. I want to run operations. Well, that doesn't pay as well. <laughs> you know, like, I can tell you, I've done it. I, when I was young, I had to sell. And I was a pretty good salesperson for four or five years. Got, got up to about 10, 11 salespeople. Mm. And one of my vendors said, hey, I've been trying to list my waterfront property with you for a week. Mm. And this is the first time you could see me. Mm. And I'd sold a few properties for him. He said, you've got to make a decision. Do you want to run a business mm-hmm. or do you want to be a salesperson? Mm. And I never, funny that I reflect on him a lot. I haven't seen him since that day. Well, I did sell his place. Uh, that was the last property I sold as an active agent. I did a few family deals after that. But I made said, what did I want to do? And I wanted to be a business owner. And so then we put on another 10 salespeople. We got up to 20 salespeople. But here's the bit that is really interesting for your listeners, your viewers. In 2012, Matt approached me because everyone was approaching him. He was our top agent. I'd known him since school. And we are deep, good mates. And he goes, hey, everyone wants me to go to, you know, different boutique offices, start the office, whatever. And I thought I'd say to him, mainly just to make him go away. Well, Matty, if you think you want to start one, if you think it's that easy, buy this one. Thinking that would do him. And he said, all right. And he went and got a valuation done to his credit and he bought the sales business. And what he probably wasn't in a financial position to buy the rent line, I took the rent line. Went and worked for Brian and the White family for four years and we coexisted. Now, this is important to the story because then five years went by and Matt realised, because when I sold in 2012, why would I sell? It's lonely and it's hard. And wearing two hats with 43 staff we had and I started from nothing, so there was no gap between the front desk and me. It was just exhausting. I couldn't look my wife in the eyes without thinking about who I needed to call. Mm. And so then in 2017, when Matt approached me, we negotiated for about a year to rejoin businesses. I looked again at what I really wanted. And that's what your viewers should do. Like that guy said, what do you really want? Mm. Is it money? Maybe agency. You know, like the first couple of years are hard. Mm. Um, is it money? Is it, I want to be a leader? Well, if it's going to, if it's going to be a leader, leadership is a thankless job 95% of the time, 95%. A leader doesn't have rights. A leader gives rights. A leader accepts responsibility, doesn't pass blame. A leader is like a goldfish in a bar, looks effortless, but they never stop swimming. You know, like it is relentless being a leader. I love my role of leadership. I love it. Maddie, what did he want? Maddie wants to sell. Maddie wants to be... He wants to be the captain on the field. He will win every game if he has to score every point himself. Mm. He, they, he is just, he is the Jonathan Thurston of our time. He is magnificent with the ball. Does Matty want to be having the conversations in the dugout that I'm having? 
well, it's not good use of his time. Mm-hmm. We want him on the field scoring tries. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll talk to them in the dressing room. And I don't want to be back out on the field. I'm happy to get out there and call the options and bang some deals together. But those conversations he doesn't want to do, those people that want hard conversations and chats, well, I'm happy to do those. So it, 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 the short answer is you could probably do it on your own if you don't want to scale a business to a certain degree and you'll probably still burn out. But if you want to scale, it's, it's highly likely you need two lanes, one lane where someone's in the field and another lane where someone's driving the business. That, that's the, yeah. In summary, that, that would be it. And, and I would say if you're going to do it yourself, don't expect perfection out of the person you employ because you're not perfect. So there's too many people say, oh, I'll put on a mentor, a manager, a leader to do that job I don't want to do. And then when they don't do it to the level that you want to do it, you're hypercritical. We seem to be um, we pass, we're hypercritical and, very, and barely recognise success. You know, like just expect that they're there, encourage them and develop them. They're not going to be perfect day one. You and I, Hayes, have sat in front of literally hundreds of, of, let's call them good agents of what they do at listing and selling, and they've sat in front of us and they've said, I want to make the next step and I want to become a business owner. And both of us, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've, you've, you've worked in a corporate role like I have. You've, you've sat in front of a lot of people and you're, uh, you are looking at them thinking, this person is great at what they do, but they're probably the most ill-equipped that, or they have the most ill-equipped skill set to be a business owner. Yet, no matter what you say, whether it's ego or whether it's they want their name on the door or whether it's they just don't know what the next step is and they just therefore think this is the evolving, obvious next step. Um, what have you said to those people? Did it work? And if it didn't, what would you say to them now given especially you can get on a very good commission split and and have a wealth creation plan of buying investment properties, which is far better than a rent, rent roll. You and I both know that, even though rent rolls are okay, but, you know, the, the way that a wealth creation plan can work with investment property is better. What, what would you say and what have you said in the past? I say that question, what do you really want to do it for? Because... Um, I've heard people say, oh, this is a good opportunity quite a lot. Oh, it's a good opportunity. Is that offering me a good opportunity? Well, good opportunity is not a good enough reason. Good opportunity when you're sitting there and they've taken your house and your partner's stressed that they can't sleep and you, you're lying to them about money, mm-hmm. is, it, is it really worth it? Like, is it truly worth it? And what are we talking about money wants? Like, how much uplift on what you're making are we talking about? Because humans in job satisfaction tend to want either more remuneration, more recognition, or more promotion. Mm-hmm. And, and is, it, is it superficial what you're hunting? To be a leader, we say this is what you need. You need money. You actually need to be able to show you can manage money because that's business ownership today. How much money have you saved? How much have you put away? How's your vendor paid? Can you collect it? Can you save it? Do you, how's your money management? Have you got money? If you don't, don't do it. How's your retention? You know, like, does your PA stay for years or are you constantly losing PAs? How's your associate? Is that a revolving door? If that's a revolving door, don't do it because your people won't start. Mm-hmm. Can you train? Like, have you ever got up and done a session at the office where you cared about the people you were talking to and made it about them? Because if you haven't, don't do it. 
because that's that's leadership. Um, uh, and can you coach? You know, like can you sit down and have a conversation or mentor someone where there's no financial benefit to you at all? Mm. Just it's just I want I want to see this person improve because they want to improve. Uh, and I'm, I've gone a bit of a mentor blank. Um, the best person that's ever described that to me is Brett Graham, who owns a number of offers on the Sunshine Coast, a real mentor mm-hmm. in front of me. And in the journey that we're on, we're following um, Brett Graham and Matt Sims out of Victoria. They're the two guys whose footsteps we're walking in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he said, Brett always liked his leaders, business partners, to also be auctioneers, just in case you ever need one. Uh, I don't know if I have that same criteria, not because I don't like to share the mic, but uh, uh, <laughs> but I really think the money... Ma- oh, and that's, of course, the other one's recruitment. Mm-hmm. Have you recruited anyone into the business? Because mm-hmm. if you've never recruited anyone in because you don't want to share the buy, then how are you going to be in the business owner? You're going to be taking every listing. Mm-hmm. So if you can't money, manage your money, do a training session, recruit, retain or coach, don't do it. But if you can then maybe it's for you. And you can do it by yourself. Matt and I, I did it by myself seven years. Matt did it by himself five years. And then now, neither of us question the partnership because we've both done it by ourselves. Mm. We don't want to do it by ourselves anymore. So we're happy to be in partnership. Yeah, and, and you and I both sat down, unfortunately, with business owners and unpacked their business financially. And we've looked at a 3 or 4% EBIT profit margin. Like no. and you just and that's 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 after franchise fees. I've even done it, you know, with some company-owned offices where there's no franchise fees, and be like, if this had franchise fees, you'd actually be you'd be behind. So it's oh. like, you know, it's it's it seems it seems so glamorous. It's it's almost like an associate who wants to be that superstar yes. listing agent, and then they're like, <laughs> I want to be an agent. You're like, and you, you know, the same question, Hayes, the same why. I want to earn more money and I want more market profile. Guess what? You can achieve both of those things working in someone's team for the next three years until you do um, uh, develop the skill set to be able to list real estate. So same as if someone was an agent, you know, you're going to make a fortune, you know, listing and selling for the next seven years. Go and do a course on how to read a P&L for God's sake. Because and recruitment and coaching and re- all the things you've just you've just mentioned. So I just think that it's 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 sad that there seems to be no um, segue, no real training, no real uh, pathway apart from being a great agent is the one and only metric into becoming a franchisee. One of the things that when I mentioned Brett and I mentioned Susie. Uh, our journey, the reason that I was so excited to join Matt is our journey is very much from cradle to grave associate. We just have gone into partnership with a gentleman who started as an associate. He's now a partner with us uh, in our Ray White Belinda office, Scott Darwin, with another partner, Brandon Worley. And the partnerships exist on this basis, Adrian, that we will educate and provide support for them. They needed to hit those five buttons, which they did. And they can then get us out. And the journeys, they can. They can own it without us. I want them to own it without us. But to them, there's value on the way in and they can tear away as soon as that value starts to subside. So my job is keep us valuable. But when we're not, off, off they go if they want to. And I've seen too many businesses struggle. I have the beautiful position of watching a 1,000 offices 
And I saw too many people go, oh, because it's a great opportunity. Mate, they're making less money with more stress than when they were a salesperson. And in fairness, nobody, no one's telling them that because they could be the next, they could be the next big thing. Mm. Mm. And this model for us is about nurturing them through. And I, I think you're seeing more and more of it, but just this extra cash and the, mate, the free cheese is in the trap, you know. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you, you guys are doing it a lot better than most, a lot better than most, you know. But, but you had to reach scale. You had to reach scale to do that. Yeah, big time. So Mate, a question on um, Ray White as a business. There's probably no better person that, that is more intimate with this beast of, of, of a business, Ray White. You're talking over 1,000 offices in 11 countries with over 12,000 agents, right? And that's all in, what, 100, 100 years? Yeah, 100 yeah, years. 120 years, right? Um, it's survived every market known to man. Um, it's never, it's, it's never gone public. Um, it doesn't own any company owned offices, despite being tempted to, from what I understand years ago. Um, apparently there's some bean counter that's very close to the white family is a pretty astute, astute person from what I understand. Um, what's, what's the, 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 the special source or the, or the, or the, or the magic dust there in this business. So this is the only thing that I can, might, might give some insight. I was around real estate from the age of 12. Mm. I used to come home from school and I'd go to the office. I was around agents. Mm. So by the time I started at 18, I had a bit of a head start on everyone else. And by the time the penny dropped for me four years in, I was really, I was fortunate to be ahead of my time by the age of 21. Now imagine that's three generations deep, right? Imagine that, like, Ray started in Crow's Nest, had a son, Alan. Alan took it from three or four offices, came down to Queen Street, took it to 30 company owners. Has the boys, Paul and Ray. Paul and Brian. Paul and Brian do not. This is from the day they're born. They're talking leadership and real estate, mm. generational real estate from that age. And dog, like dog, mate, these guys are, it is in the blood. It must be better when they hand it over to the next generation. Mm. This mm. business is all about them. Everything is about the next generation. They are simply just holding it for the next generation to make it better. And, and look, Paul is an amazing real estate mind, but Brian is a thought leader on an international level. Like, he took it from the 30 offices to the 1,000. Mm -hmm. There's no, in my experience, I've seen a lot, whether it's the best real estate mind or not, many could argue that. He employs the best real estate minds. Um, his, his financial advisor, Andrew, is one of the best you'll get in accounting. But leadership, I've yet to see a better leader than Brian. He is just at a level, like this Brian might have been late 70s and I told him recently, not to piddle in his pocket, but I just wanted to make sure he knew, I don't think a day goes by that I don't reflect on some leadership lesson. Not a day. Even on a summer run with the kids, mm. with the leadership with them. And, and that just rolls down through the group. So, and then his, his boys, Sam, Ben and Dan, from the day they were born, Mm. they've got Brian and Paul and Alan and the family and then all of the CEOs now across the group. Mm. And, and, yeah, it's just 
They're all in. They are, they're, they're all in with no talk of let's sell it to make money. Money is the last thing they talk about. Yeah. It matters. I don't want to say it doesn't matter. No. It matters a lot, but it's not fueling decisions. I get it. Yeah. And look, you know, with my coaching business, I mean, oh, I love Ray White because they, they, they make up about 70% of my clients, you know, like all, yeah. over, all, over, the, all over the country. Um, but being the devil's advocate, I do get, Hayes, a lot of people say to me, um, and I'd love, I'd love your perspective, you know, because yeah. uh, it's easy, easy to throw, throw, throw mud at, at, at tall poppies. I know all about that. Trust me. Um, but they go, oh, Ray White, they're no longer in real estate. They're just franchisors. Mate, they'll open an office next door to you. They don't care, blah, blah, blah. You know, they over-cannibalise their, their, their BDAs, all this sort of stuff, you know. And, and I'm like, well, they are in the franchisor business, but I'd say they're also in the real estate business, um, you know, and they've got special deals, left, right, and all this sort of stuff that, you know, people tell me all the time. And, you know, I'm brand agnostic, but obviously I'm, I'm a, a supporter and a ambassador of Ray White. So what would you say to those people, mate? Because I, I do cop it sometimes. So one of the things that I think is important for people, we get approached, our staff get approached all the time. Mm. We get approached, you yeah. know, come and join the different groups. And I probably, I'm glad I said the comment before that I say now, whether the White family are the greatest real estate brains, mm. I think they are. I think they're the great real estate brains. But I'm sure McGrath's, um, Marshall White plays. I'm sure everybody says, yeah, but our guys. Yeah. I get that, right? There's yeah. a lot of great runs. Leadership. Mm. So we have 130-odd staff. Right? We've got an office that's just opened up 100, 200, 300 metres up the street, and good luck to them. If they do well, that's because they're good. There's another three real estate shops between me and them. So we've got Ray White offices all around us. Hasn't affected us. We are able to be as good as we are based on our ability. Now, if it was just the brand, then that office would be better or we would be worse based on that. It still comes down in all of our shops largely to us as, as individuals. I don't find um, that there is different deals office to office. I've been on the franchise all level. I've seen it. Mm. Same as in our office. People say, oh, there's different deals for every staff. There's not. Mm. They're all the same deal. Um, but the bit uh, that I was going to answer to your question regarding that, uh, you said something, sorry, Adrian, I just, I've had a brain thought. The question was in the office, what it was. In terms of what, what would you say to people that are, that are saying that there's an over-cannibalisation of, 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 of offices within, within certain areas? Yeah, no, it wasn't because I don't find that to be an issue to me. But okay, so you're a good good example though, Hayes, because what you're saying is another Ray White office, how how recently opened down the road, you're saying? Oh, last 18 months. There's an office in the city. There's one office in the city. There's a, and they put one at the end, like, you could almost say it's in our market. Okay. So so, so you, you would be in the minority of franchisees if you were in another network who would have an attitude of scarcity and would say that is going to affect my business and that's going to cannibalise my market share, why aren't you saying that? It just doesn't bother us. They, it just doesn't bother Like we, oh, that's what I was going to say. We back, so, so my piece of this is, it just, we back our ability. Yeah. We back that our group 
I just know that our group, in terms of my Ray White, Matt and my and Scott and Brandon, our team, yeah. we care not only for our people, but the, the, what they can provide. Yes. That we just believe our, our business provides a better platform for our people and the proof of the pudding's in the end, right? It works. Mm-hmm. We then, I then know Ray White is a great brand. I don't need to say how much I support them. I've only ever worked for them. And we get lots of op- other opportunities. And I've definitely locked horns with them. Mm-hmm. But if they wanted to open a shop at the end of the street, and I can justify that they're not just doing it to upset me, I can see a benefit for it. Mm. Well, if I'm worried about that person, then that's more about me than that person. They're not gonna they're not gonna stop selling real estate. I'll just be McGrath or Harcourt or LJ Hooker and mm. I'll have to compete with them anyway. But this Correct. is my point, which I, which I lost my thought on before. I looked at every model. Mm. I didn't have to come back to Ray Wong. There was a part of me that thought, what sort of boring person stays with one group their whole life? My mum was with five different offices. Why am I just a one-trick pony? Why do I have to be the one-club man? Mm. And I couldn't see a franchise group within cooey of them in terms of the value. Mm. A lot of them have good marketing. A lot of them have nice conferences. But when you strip it away and look at the actual meaty bits of the value, there's no one within the lot, like no one within Kui. And I can tell you we pay, we pay a fair amount of money for it, mm. more mm. than most. Mm. And we consider it valuable. And lots of other groups have come to us and said, we'll come for a lot less money. Like, what do I get for that? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm so I'm so glad you've said it, mate. Because even though I want to be the devil's advocate, a yeah. lot of people say it to me. But given I coach that many Ray White agents, I've never heard one complaint from one Ray White franchisee or one Ray White agent. Yet yeah. you've got competitors who come to me and say, Bowie, you seem to be coaching a lot of Ray White agents. I hear this, I hear that, I hear there's, there's deals and they're over cannibalization. I'm like, mate, I've never heard one complaint. I was saying, and look, you've only got to look at the depth. I mean, look at your new CEO, Jason Andrew. Mate, you're not, you're not going to find a, a better real estate brain in, in Queensland than that bloke. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have him here and, you know, I had a bit to do with him and his move there. Incredible. Um, but I, I love how you've just said 18 months ago, someone did open up the road um, and it could have been LJ, it could have been McGrath, it could have been high. It doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, you focus on your offering. You focus yeah. on what your team does. You focus on your process. They will do what they do, regardless of what brand they are. So it's so refreshing to hear that from uh, an owner of five, um, a co-owner of five Ray White offices who has an attitude of abundance, not scarcity, because I can tell you many people have the latter, which I reckon there's no place, no place in the industry for a scarcity attitude. No, I, I mean, I, I use those words quite often. And I just, if, you're, if your brand's Mercedes, they're going to put another Mercedes dealership up the street. Why should you then change to Holden? You know, like, mm-hmm. so if Mercedes is the brand you want because mm-hmm. you think it's the best brand, then just be a better dealership. Yeah. You know, like if that's the best, that's the best. Yeah. And I don't think, I don't, but I will tell you now, we sell everywhere. Mm-hmm. We don't just sell in our core market. 
we sell everywhere. And one of the other things, which is a challenge to other franchise groups, yeah. Yeah. we let the clients choose. They may want Ray White. They may not just want that Ray White shop. And it's not the client's choice that they don't want that person. And so we breathe in the whole experience. And the whole experience is, even in my office, three or four of my guys, or our guys, sorry, will compete with each other, client's choice. And, you know, that model has delivered all of them and all of us and the other Ray White offices an enormous amount of uh, enormous amount, um, enormous amount of results. But if you just think, oh, I'll hone the local shop mm-hmm. and I'll force every client to come to me because they own the local shop, mm-hmm. I'll go and join another group. Yeah. You know, that's not us. Yeah. Now, I, 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 the best part about that last bit you said, Hayes, was the client decides. I'm sick of, as a business owner, I was always sick of hearing agents saying, that's my client. So it's just because they're in your database, you don't own them, right? It's like, <laughs> A, you know, Ray White or McGrath may not get the listing. B, it's the owner who decides which agent within either of the offices get the listing, right? Let's not delude ourselves. So, um, mate, we'll move on because it's starting to sound a little bit like a Ray White advertorial, <laughs> which is which is all right. But but we, 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 we've both got a, an interest. Um, but it, it's not meant to be that. It's just, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the way you have your mindset towards your own business. And that is focus on what you can control because whether you're with McGrath, LJ Hooker, Ray White, whatever, there's going to be stuff that's going to happen that's not in your control and you can either choose to whinge about it or choose to focus on offering better service, doing world-class open for inspections, getting back to people when you tell them you're going to get back to them, you know, and, and offering great service. All of that has got nothing to do with all the other stuff, right? Nah. So, so it's a metaphor. What we're talking for is really a metaphor about focus on what you can control because he, he, the, the analogy could be a footy field. As a ref, they'll make calls against you. They'll make calls for you. You don't sit there and whinge about it. You just tackle harder the next time, right? So I think that's, that's what we're trying to get at. Matt, as, as we start to wrap up, Hayes, um, what advice would you give to, to agents that in this market uh, trying to manage vendors' expectations? And as an auctioneer, you would see this um, because the, the owners are reading all the media um, they're increasing or inflating their expectations. What's what's some sobering metrics, if you like, that that you could provide vendors? I'll give you some. I'll give you some great information. Mm. Here's something that agents should take and swallow. Mm-hmm. The market is great. It's great. So any vendor right now that doesn't want to sell for the price on the table. Now, this is the greatest market we've seen ever. Mm -hmm. So where is this price? Where is this price? Do they think it's next year? Maybe they could be wrong. But they could also be very wrong. And you'd rather sell three months too early than five minutes too late. And we have a formula that is very simple. Your first job as an agent, is give the vendor evidence of your effort. That's how you build trust. You don't just get trust. In fact, if anything, we're starting with a few negative points. So you've got to show them how hard you're going to work. You've got to do the talking to the buyer, talk to the vendors every day. And people hear differently. Even in our groups, 
Some of them are here through text. Some of them are here through WhatsApp. Some of them are here through written reports. Some of them are here through face-to-face. And don't start giving them feedback until you've demonstrated to them how hard you're going to work for them. Once you've given them evidence of effort, then you can start to give them evidence of market feedback. And once you've given them evidence of effort, you've got a foundation of trust. From a foundation of trust, you can, you, and you must know what they want. You know, can I ask, um, if the auction was today, where are you planning on setting the reserve? And if they say, we'll tell the auctioneer, then the next time you talk to them, listen, I was talking to the auctioneer, he wants to start to develop his strategy. He's keen to know where you're planning on setting the reserve so we can start to build his strategy for the auction. What are you thinking about selling it? And if they say I'm selling it, selling it at 1.5, and you know it's worth 1.2, so if I pass that on, the concern is the feedback is all around them in your marks. Hmm. And I want to let you know this is the greatest market we've seen ever. And so that market, that may bubble, that may get you a bubble maybe, maybe get you one one, who knows? What about if the vendor says at this rate, if it continues, I'll do better if I wait three months? What, what, what would you say to that? You might be right. Hmm. You might be right, but I tell you this time last year, um, we could give, people, give properties away. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. This time last year, we had people that had no idea what was going to happen. Mm. Like a market moves. Mm. And a rising market is not infinitely guaranteed. Mm. And our concern is this. You've laid your digital footprint. So if you try it in a year, they're going to see the listing now and they're going to think you've been on the market for a year and they're going to wonder what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. You've chosen now for a reason. I back you that you've chosen now. It's, a, it's an amazing market. Mm-hmm. And could it be better in the future? Maybe. Could it be worse? Maybe. I mean, there's just as many people saying it's going to be better as worse. Mm-hmm. But right now, I can tell you this. Real estate's in our business, and it is exceptional now. If you sell now, you're going to get a great price. It might just not be the price you want. But I think you've got to think about what's your alternative and why that price. Good. And you can only have those chats from a foundation of trust. Yeah, absolutely agree. And what would you say to an agent who's in the lounge room pitching for a listing, knowing um, he or she is up against three or four other agents? What do you think, you know, we've all got our USPs, we've all got, you know, we talk about our marketing, our website, or, but what, what do you think the vendor really, really wants to know when you peel, so, back, peel back the onion layer? What, what are they really interested in? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think you've got to reverse engineer the reasons that, like the objections that are coming. So I think what they're looking for, personally, is they want an agent that believes in their property. Mm -hmm. They also want an agent that believes in the price that they want, not necessarily the number, Mm. but that they're going to do everything on God's great earth to get it if it's out there, as opposed to try to educate them before they even know them or before they've even tried, they're already saying, they're already trying to tell them they're wrong before they've even tried. And I tell you, I've been doing this job long enough to know that agents aren't always right. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing this job long enough and even the most determined vendors will move if you give them the right evidence. And I've seen buyers pay more than they would swear on a stack of Bibles they'll ever pay. Hey, so no one knows. So I would say that your listing presentation needs to, one, handle the value you will provide for the fee that you will provide involving the strategy that you have in advance. So I would always ask the owner first, um, you know, can you tell me why you want to sell, what you're looking to get out of the sale and the time frame? And then I would listen to all of those things. 
and then I would make a recommendation. That recommendation would involve uh, examples of when we've got an owner more money. My favourite story is the time I sold a property, a million dollars over the reserve, a million dollars over the valuation, 1.3 million over the highest offer. More than I ever accepted. And that's why I always present a no price strategy because it allows me to work as hard as I can to get you the best price, um, which can outperform expectations. Um, the, the importance of getting the right person. We had a cut price agent in local area in $5,000 fee. They got a $5,000 job and we on site for $100,000 afterwards. Um, and then I talked to them about our point of difference. And every agent or every person needs to know why them. If you can't at midnight, where it's just you and the mirror, explain why you are the best person to sell every piece of real estate, then you're never going to be able to transfer that to a stranger. So you need to know, would you list with you and why? And then you need to make sure your clients know at the table. And don't leave it unsaid. Let them know. Be enthusiastic about the stuff. Mm. That's gold. That's gold. Um, as we wrap up, mate, just the the whole objective or how it came about that you've got a sub-brand with the PM living here. How, how did that how did that evolve? Yeah, that was mainly because when Matt and I split in 2012, he uh, eventually wanted to start his own rentals brand, mm -hmm. which was Ray White New Farm Rentals. Uh, and we then, the White family had a small sub-brand called Living Here. And there was only about six of us across the group that took it up. And then it sort of died a natural death, but we kept it. And we went to a bit of effort to rebrand to it. We liked it, it's separate to Ray White. And so we kept it as part of the re-emerging in 2017. I'm coming to you today from that living here business on Brunswick Street, 11 or 1200 management. I said 11 or 1200 because we're sitting at about 1150, but we've had some movement over the last bit. We're selling them because <laughs> the market's run. And, uh, and we've kept that brand. And we quite like the autonomy of a standalone rentals brand because I love property management and property managers. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in a sales business, when they're in the same office, um, there's two subclasses. And so we prefer everything in this business is property management and property management first and everything in the sales business is sales and sales first. Gotcha. So, oh, so it, was, it was, sounded like a Raywide corporate initiative, which... Which which may may not have worked out, but yeah. but you but but you ran with it. You continue yeah. to run with it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Interesting. All right, mate. As we start to wrap up, there's four questions I always finish with. Number one is, um, do you have a daily ritual or something that you do on a regular basis or an evening ritual or anything? Yeah. Um, so if you so my form is I'm highly structured. There's no second of the day. Every everything is really structured. Uh, it's, it's quite late <laughs> if you want me to tea. Yeah, uh, I'm up quite early. I exercise early. After I exercise, usually I'll uh, read the paper. I cook the same breakfast pretty much every day. Uh, I then have a shower with music every day. At the end of the shower, a cold shower, I have two affirmations. The first one is, I'm lucky. I'm born in Australia. I'm in love. I have three happy, healthy children. And the other one is I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I will share love, uh, be happy and have fun. And so that starts every day. And then I say, 
There's going to be some things today I've got to do that I don't want to do. But I know once the, I've done them, I'll feel better. And then I turn the shower to cold and I said, this will be the first one. <laughs> and I have a cold, I finish the shower with cold. Uh, and then I take the same herbs and head out the door. And I can tell you that when I do that, if I was at a five out of 10, I get to an eight out of 10. If I was at a negative three, I get to a zero or a one. It doesn't get me to a 10 every day. Mm, mm. But I make sure that I do three things. First thing is I fuel my body with that emotional energy. Then I get a little bit of gratitude. I set a plan for the day. So I win my mind, I win my heart, and I, my day is purely planned, mate. There is no mistakes in my day. Mm -hmm. From the moment to the end, there is no unallocated time. And my hands, I win my hands next. I just follow the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it has allowed us to be able to do all the things we want. We all have the same amount of time. And I'll tell you now, there's enough of it. When people tell you there's not enough time in the day, it's because they're wasting too much. If you allocate your time, you'll be fine. Yeah, agreed. Mate, you'd make Wim Hof very happy, mate, with those cold showers, for sure. Um, and was that, was that gratitude and the affirmation, do you think that was an innate thing? You were born with it or was something you just acquired along the way and, and it served you well? Oh, yeah. Look, development from mentors along the way. The other thing is energy is important, but it's not effortless, you know. And as, uh, it sounds cliche, but as you age, it gets harder. It wasn't always seven ways. Mm. Uh, and... You do need to be grateful. I do need to be reminded that when the vendor's screaming, the staff members screaming, the problems are going off. We had an office burned down last year. Mm. You know, like I'm mm. dealing with things that I haven't had to deal with before. Mm. You remember that what's important, I'm in love. I've got healthy children. I live in Australia. I mean, mm. Mm. billions and billions would trade places for, with me. So they're the important things. And, uh, and you've got to have fun and be happy. Yeah, a lot of people do get caught up, Pays, there's no doubt about it. You know, there's 8 billion people in the world. There's continents where children are dying every 10 seconds from a lack of food. And yeah. we've got that much food on the planet. It's just that we manage to eat it ourselves. But there's a lot of people who, you know, I'm talking animals, but, but, but there's just, yeah, there's, there's, people do put things out of perspective a lot. You know, it's pretty sad. Um, what's a really great decision you've made in your career? Oh, hands down, it would be to partner, Matt. That partnership, we no longer look to the greener grass. The grass for us is green as where we water it. And mm -hmm. we're grateful for our partnership. So we just concentrate on driving forward. Same as with my marriage. Mm. Uh, I love being married. Mm. I don't make jokes about, oh, you get less for murder. I love mm. being married. I'm grateful for my marriage. Mm. Because I'm grateful for my marriage, I work to make sure that I'm a good husband, good father, and then I can just do the things that I want to do rather than be constantly looking on the other side of the fence. So mm. make commitments, and we've got this great expression, which is to have character is the ability to carry out a decision long after the mood in which it was made has left you. You know, like mm. on the, your wedding day, you wanted to be married, well, stay married. You want to be in a partnership with someone, stay in the partnership. You know, like work at it. Work at it when there's a spark, not wait for there's a raging inferno and have to flee. Mm. Get it at a spark yeah. and, uh, and have character. Yeah, it's great because there's a lot of people, Hayes, who are just always looking for what, what's the next opportunity? What's the next big thing? What's the, you know, and, and what, what's great is already actually right in front of them.
Yeah. Um, um, another, uh, only two questions ago. One is, what's not one of your greatest business decisions? Oh, I bought uh, Dips and Pate Company about four years ago because I was bored in Coles and Woolies. Not bored, but, you know, you, like an agent, you know, you think, oh, I want to be a business owner. I want to mm. be an entrepreneur with different mm. businesses. Mm. And, mate, we were lucky to sell that for 25 cents in the dollar. Mm. Uh, so I burned up a fair chew up a permit of dough. <laughs> Just pre-GFC when the market was running, I decided to uh, open a flat, get into flat pack housing at a factory out of Thailand. I think I got out of that for about 10 cents in the dollar. Wow. And I uh, subdivided a few blocks and had to sell those as quickly as I could. You know, you don't have to do the next thing just because an opportunity presents itself. Mm. What do you want to do it for? You know, what is, you don't, like, what, what do we call an entrepreneur? Why? You know, <laughs> do what you do, do it well, it's enough. Mm. And I've made some shocking businesses. I mean, look, they've all made me, rounded me to the person, the business person that we are mm. today. But mm. Mm. it's certainly taught me to be grateful for the things I have. And, yeah, uh, yeah I made some absolute perfect decisions all the way. It sounds like not only did it cost you directly, but also the opportunity cost haze of not doubling down on your real estate business. Imagine, oh. imagine the hemorrhaging there. So and, you, know, you the, think it's so cool. Yeah. And then people go, how's that going now? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a book written by Gary Kelleher called The One Thing. And, and it's a great book if anyone wants to read. And it's all about focusing and making sure that you're outstanding at one thing. And, and, and you know, if you don't want to read the whole book, the first, the first um, few sentences says it all. It's like, if you try and chase two rabbits, you'll end up catching neither of them, right? Yeah. So it's like, you're good at real estate? Good. There's, there's a few verticals of real estate you can actually expand into, but, you know, that other stuff probably... But, but again... It was easy to label it as a bad decision, but today it's like that'd be like kryptonite. If anyone ever approached you and said, "Hey, mate, great opportunity, sixty percent return on an ostrich farm," you'd go, "Mate, not interested, not interested." Okay. Um, last question, mate. You get to me ask me anything you like. I get to ask you anything you like. Yeah. All yeah. right. What's the best response that you've heard, or the best bit of advice you've heard from your panelists, other than me? That'll save you. <laughs> other than me, the eighty-seven. When you reflect over the lot of them, what's the one bit that resonates that you go, I really hope my viewers and listeners heard that bit of advice? Yeah, it's funny you say that. It was probably only a couple of weeks ago when I had um, the great Matty Stein wait on. And um, he, when I asked him what was one of the mistakes, you know, that he made, he said, when I got to number one, I thought I'd be happy. And he called it the when disease, right? And he's like, mate, when I thought, when I was number one at McGrath and when I, when I had this car and when I did this and did that, I thought, oh, everything, I'd be happy. And he said, nothing changed. <laughs> so, so it was a really good metaphor, I think, for all our listeners and for us in that, um, you know, don't suffer from the when-then disease, which is like when 
I've got this much money in my bank, I'll start offering good service to my clients. When I've got uh, the house I want to live in, then I'll start providing really good open for inspections. When I've got this, then I'll start being a better husband. Or You know, just do everything now. Like, because it, this, this destination, it's perpetual. Like, it's just going to keep going, 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 um, especially with the financial metric in particular, right? That's, that is just a never-ending, never vicious cycle that just feeds itself you know so um yeah that's that's probably something that i'm sure you've you've resonated with yourself right oh when i sold to matt we just effectively hit number one in 2012 mm. and i remember thinking oh so that's it that's yeah that's the end of it oh good mm. and wake up the next day think well right, so i suppose we got to climb this mountain again yeah. and uh no sadder, no happier, no, no different. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, that's why I think a little, little health check every day. Yeah. I'm yeah. grateful for Yeah. That gratitude, I think, is, is gold. Everyone should be all over that. I, I was a... I was the same, mate. Like when, um, you know, it's no secret that I was one of the foundation partners of McGrath. We did the IPO. Everyone made a lot of money. It was like, and and for the first time, I was debt free, and I was excited for about thirty seconds. And I was like, shit, I'm actually really depressed now. It's like, well, I was like hustling, hungry. As I next, I got into debt within like two weeks because I just had to. I had to have something to just keep driving me. You know, I, th- I think Richard Branson says the same thing when he ended up selling a, one, you know, version or whatever it was he was he was almost went into depression you know because he was like his purpose went away you know it's insanity um mate i really appreciate you joining us hayes i know you got a lot on your plate um you're a true true gentleman um and a fantastic uh, real estate practitioner you know a lot of people look up to you and uh, mate i love that you bring that 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 humor in, into into your day-to-day business i think it's outstanding i think more people need to take it less seriously i think people need to care but not care that much because it's a game real estate and if you get good at your game then your real life will benefit which is what you were talking about your partner your family your health your gratitude your health your happiness all that sort of stuff so it's 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 a means to an end to a degree but you've got to still treat it seriously but not that seriously otherwise it can be a little bit too much you know so i love how you bring that that part into it yeah it's been real it's been really nice Great to catch up with you. Good to be good to be a part of the series. No and uh, and I would say for anyone that's on their real estate journey, just remember the job. The job is an unbelievable job. We're lucky to do this job, but the job in itself isn't enough. You've got to you've got to provide your own fuel for happiness. You must do that. And I would say the thing that will aid you in it is structure. Have the discipline to stick to your structure. And even when you are suffocating with work, you must do something. Even if you can't do all 100 calls, better to do five than zero. Mm. Do something every single day and your business will compound forward over time. Good advice. Good advice to finish up on. Thanks, Hayes. You're a legend. Listeners, we'll be back soon with another outstanding guest. Hit uh, the website up www.adrianbow.com for all your coaching and training needs. Hayes, thanks again, mate. You're a gentleman. Talk to you everyone soon. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.